Good morning. We praise the Lord for this day of worship where we declare his grace and faithfulness in our lives. Today, we're going to see how God called Jacob to fulfill his vow and commitment to the Lord made 20 years earlier when he was fleeing from his brother. Back then, Jacob vowed that he will make the Lord his God and to worship him. We're going to see today why committing ourselves to God enables us to live a full and abundant life in his presence, even in the midst of challenges and pandemics. But first, let's commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, even as we come to your word, we pray that you fill us with the Holy Spirit and renew hope in our lives, even as we commit ourselves to you. We ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The big idea for today is that God calls us into an ever-deepening relationship with him. A few weeks ago, we saw how God uh, appeared to Jacob when Jacob was fleeing from his brother Esau. In a dream, Jacob had a vision of a stairway between heaven and earth with angels descending and ascending from it. And God appeared to him and promised Jacob that God will watch over him as he faced an uncertain future. In response, Jacob made a vow to make a covenant commitment to the Lord, to worship him as God and to build a place of worship at the location where God had appeared to him, which Jacob named Bethel. Jacob spent the next 20 years working in a foreign land in Haran under his uncle Laban, where he married Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel, and started to build a considerable family. In recent weeks, Brother Gamliang and Pastor Shen have preached on how uh, Jacob finally removed his family from Laban and traveled back to the promised land of Canaan, where Jacob wrestled with an angel of God, pleading for an assurance of blessings at a place called Penel. Jacob also managed to reconcile with his brother Esau and settled back to the land in the city of Shechem. There was tragic violence at Shechem where Jacob's sons, uh, Simeon and Levi, killed the people in the city in an act of revenge or vengeance for their sister Dinah, who was violated by the ruler's son, also named Shechem. This caused much fear and anxiety on Jacob's part as he knew that the neighboring Canaanite tribes would likely respond violently to the massacre of Shechem's people. It was at this point of crisis that God calls Jacob to go to Bethel where God had first appeared to him and fulfilled his vow made there and renewed his commitment to God. We learn three key things from God's call to Jacob for covenant commitment. First, the call of commitment. Second, the cost of commitment. And lastly, the consecration of commitment. First, the call of commitment. We are to live in response to God's calling and not in response to circumstances. As just mentioned, Jacob was fearful of the vengeance of the neighboring tribes after his sons wiped out the men of an entire Canaanite city. We read in Genesis chapter 34, verse 30, then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious 
to the Canaanites and the Perizzites, the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. It is in this crisis that God said to Jacob in Genesis uh, 35 verse 1, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. God reminds Jacob of the vow he made 20 years earlier in Bethel. In a way, God is saying to Jacob, go back to the place where you first encountered me and made a commitment to me. God was calling for Jacob and his family to come to worship him and enter a covenant commitment with him. 20 years earlier, Jacob was down and out desperate and fearful for his life when God appeared and Jacob made his vow. And now it is during another threatening crisis that God calls Jacob to deepen his commitment to God by fulfilling his vow. And in fulfilling his vow, Jacob was reminded of God's unchanging faithfulness in keeping his promises. 20 years earlier, God made Jacob this promise as we read in Genesis 28, verse 15. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. And now, as God reminded Jacob of his obligations, Jacob is now able to look up from his present crisis and to remember that God is indeed faithful to all his promises. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 3, Jacob says to his family, Then, come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. By remembering God's unchanging faithfulness, Jacob is reminded that he is to live in response to God's calling and not be blindsided by life's circumstances. In his present crisis, Jacob had to be reminded that God is the one who answers prayers in the day of distress. And God's presence, his favor and protection will go with the one who obeys him. When Jacob was focusing on the potential threats of vengeful Canaanite tribes, all he could feel was fear and anxiety. He lost sight of God's faithfulness and call on his life. It took God's reminder of his call of commitment to God that shook Jacob out of his fear paralysis and got him on the move again to fulfill his obligations to God. Even as God called Jacob into a deeper commitment to him, God did not forget his commitment to watch over Jacob and his family. We read in Genesis chapter 35, verse 5. Then they set out and the terror of God fell on the towns all around them so that no one pursued them. The God that had so faithfully watched over Jacob in the past 20 years is still the God who would deliver him from the present danger as Jacob stepped up 
to obey God's calling. For us today, the Christian life is a call of committing ourselves fully to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we saw previously, our primary call in this life is to commit to a lifelong relationship with God through his son, Jesus. We are to live our lives in response to this calling to believe and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it is from this position of living for Christ that we deal with the circumstances of life. The difference is that when we live by our calling, we face the circumstances from a position of being a child of God and a follower of Christ, empowered by his authority and covered by his grace, meaning his undeserved favor and blessings. When we live in response to circumstances, we live defeated and enslaved by fear and uncertainty. But when we commit fully to the Lord in response to his grace and calling, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us in the face of all the brokenness and troubles of life, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8. A committed life to God is an empowered life to display the love and victory of Christ over every adversity and struggle you face this day. Remember, even our earthly death and the grave cannot defeat the resurrection power of God to raise us to eternal life with him. And if the power of the grave is already defeated by the resurrection of Christ, how much more will God's loving hand bring you through the struggles you face this day? However, our commitment to God is not just a one-time decision. Rather, it is a lifelong relationship that calls us to ever-deepening commitment to live fully for God. How serious are we about our commitment to God? I'd like to ask you to spend three minutes now to reflect on this question. You may like to turn to the person next to you at home or have a moment of self-reflection. What does commitment to God mean to you? Parents with younger children could perhaps take this time to explain the meaning of the word commitment and relating that to our relationship with God. I will see you in three minutes. Welcome back. Second, the cost of commitment. Committing to God requires a costly re-evaluation of our life priorities, desires, and personal agendas. When Jacob responded to God's call and determined to fulfill his vow to worship the Lord, he knew that his whole family and extended household needed to prepare themselves to encounter God in their worship. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 2, we read, So Jacob said to his household and all who were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves, and change your clothes. And in verse 4, we find that they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them. 
Now, we are not told in what way members of Jacob's household worshipped idols. We do know in Genesis 30, uh, 31 that Rachel stole her father's or Laban's uh, idols when the family left Haran to travel back to Canaan. It's also possible that when Simeon and Levi attacked and defeated the city of Shechem in Genesis 34, these idols and earrings were part of the spoils of war or that they belonged to the people that were taken captive. Some scholars also believe that the earrings could have been used as religious objects in connection with idol worship. These idols represented distractions or temptations as objects of security or good fortune. The idols and earrings could have been sources of prestige or wealth as well. Jacob understood that in order to commit themselves in worship to the Lord, the whole family and extended household had to turn away from these arrival sources of power and protection and to commit themselves fully to the Lord. Now, it's not that these um, idolatrous objects of power or wealth could ever compete or compare with God's sovereign power. In comparison with God's sovereignty, these foreign idols were without substance or power. But they competed for the affection and devotion of God's people. Perhaps in their ignorance, some in Jacob's household might have thought that holding on to these idols were acceptable as long as they paid homage to the Lord as the dominant God. Perhaps they thought that they were having the best of both worlds, the God of Abraham that provided the covenant promise and blessings, while these other smaller idols brought them other benefits, perhaps in health or fertility or wealth. Whatever the situation, it is clear that once Jacob was reminded of his commitment and vow to worship the Lord, his God, there was no room for idols and other objects of devotion in the life of his family. Jacob realized that God would not tolerate any rivals to his place as the covenant God, as well as the sole protector and provider for Abraham's family. And it was not just a matter of putting away their idols and ornaments. Jacob's family had to purify themselves and to put on clean clothes. This anticipates the purity rituals that the law of Moses would prescribe for Israel a few hundred years later. Repentance and purification are necessary to come into a life of proper worship to God. The cost of commitment for Jacob's family is that they had to forego any other sources of security, protection, or wealth other than which comes from the Lord. In the land of Canaan, where idols and tribal gods were integral to the sense of well-being, safety, and prosperity, Jacob's uh, family was learning that they were to have no part at all in such a life. In a culture where an idol represented a visual representation and reminder of a tribe's source of protection and security, Jacob's family was learning that they were worshipping 
a sovereign God that could not be represented by anything in the heavens or the earth. No image is sufficient to represent the indescribable glory of the creator God they worship. In the absence of any physical representation of God, Jacob's family had to learn to worship by faith, not by sight. Now, Jacob was to build an altar for the place of worship. And later on in Israel's history, there will be the Ark of the Covenant, there will be the, the tabernacle and the actual um, temple uh, later on in Jerusalem. But there was to be, there were to be no image or idol set up to represent the surpassing glory of God. By the act of purification and change of clothes, Jacob's family is learning that worshiping God means encountering the holiness of God. They could not come in flippantly or casually into worship. God is to be approached and worshipped with reverence, that is, with great respect and honour. Today, we come to worship God because of the righteousness of Christ, God's Son. By having faith, and believing in what Jesus Christ has done for us by dying on the cross for our sins and being raised to life so that we can have a right relationship with God, we can now approach God and worship him in a way that honors him. In fact, believers in Jesus Christ are called the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's own glory and presence dwells in us as individuals and as a community through the Holy Spirit. Since we have such a glory and privilege through the sacrificial love of Christ, we have an even greater obligation to worship and serve God without idolatry or corruption. Now, we achieve this not by our own efforts, but by the grace and strength that God himself provides us to live rightly before him. Idolatry in our context could be anything that holds our allegiance, trust, hope, confidence, or desire in the place of God. For some of us who come to the Christian faith from a different background, there could be continuing fears, superstitions, or practices from the old life that need to be dealt with, with the help of the pastor or church leaders. For others, it could be any ambition, agendas, or values that we need to put aside to be able to fully obey the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, for all of us, coming to faith in Jesus is also a call to carry the cross of discipleship, which means the death of our own personal agendas, self-entitlements, earthly securities, or social ambitions. Jesus says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. In Luke chapter 14, verse 33, Jesus says this, those of you who do not give up Everything you have cannot be my disciples. How do we even begin 
to respond to such costly demands of discipleship by faith, by believing that God himself will empower and enable those who choose to obey, by realizing that to all who turn to God in faith, God makes his spirit dwell within us to will and act according to what pleases him. If we commit ourselves afresh to God, whatever the cost, we will experience God as Jacob did when he said, God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. We cannot outgive God. What we surrender to him in faith, God provides us with even more than we can ever ask or imagine in a way that will cause us to glorify him and to honor him. Here's our three-minute reflection question. What is God asking you to give up to follow Christ? Parents with younger kids could perhaps talk about the cost of committing to be good in a particular sport or to help a family member or friend. Relate that to our commitment to serve God. Have a good three-minute reflection. Good to have you back. Third, the consecration of commitment. Our commitment to God sets us apart for God's purposes. Essentially, that's what consecration means. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 9 to 10, we read, After Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel. This is a reiteration of what we read in Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, where Jacob was given a new name after he wrestled all night with an angel of God, as uh, Pastor Shen preached two weeks ago. As we saw previously with Abraham being given a new name from Abraham to Abraham in Genesis 17, a new name signifies a new identity, character, or destiny. Here in Genesis 35, Jacob's renaming to Israel is reiterated and placed between the act of God, um, Jacob's commitment to worship God and God's covenant promise to Jacob and his descendants. Jacob's renaming then acts as a crucial transition between Jacob's fulfillment of his vow to worship God and God's fulfillment or reiteration of his covenant promise for Abraham's family. When Jacob fulfills his vow and commits himself and his family to God, he steps forward into his destiny as heir to the covenant promises first made to Abraham. It is in Jacob's generation that God's promise to Abraham begins to take a definite shape with the birth of Jacob's 12 sons. In Abraham's and Isaac's generations, the weight of God's covenant promises was carried through a single son. 
Now Israel as a nation begins to take shape with 12 sons who will eventually make up the 12 tribes of Israel. By his act of commitment and worship to God, Jacob moves into a momentous time of his life where the fulfillment of God's promises was going to move forward in a substantial way. Instead of all the scheming and manipulation of the past, Jacob's life was now set apart for God's purposes and his family will be the center of all that God is accomplishing in forming them into a nation. In Genesis chapter 35, verse 11, God says to Jacob, a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will be among your descendants. This was first promised to his grandfather, Abraham, before Isaac was born. Now Jacob will inherit the promise with 12 sons who will form the nucleus of the nation of Israel. To be sure, there will be many heartaches, twists and turns still ahead, not to mention the dark years of slavery ahead in Egypt. But there is no mistaking now that the nation of Israel is emerging to fulfill its destiny in God's redemptive plan for the whole world. When we respond by faith to God's call for us to commit ourselves to him, through his son Jesus, we move into fulfilling our life's destiny with God. As Pastor Shen pointed out two weeks ago, when we come to Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come, as we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We saw earlier that there is a cost to that commitment. Part of the cause of discipleship is to lose all that held us back from worshipping and knowing God in the old life. But once more and more of the old life is stripped away, God pours in more and more of the abundant life and purpose that's prepared for us as we live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Entering a new season of discovering or deepening our commitment to God's specific work will entail more sacrifices and commitment. In John chapter 15, Jesus says that God the Father prunes and trims the branches in him who are fruitful, referring to us as his fruitful disciples, so that they can become even more fruitful, persevering prayer and the faithful work for the Lord. As Randy Sinke pointed out last week, the pandemic has overturned every aspect of our lives, including missions. There are emerging areas of crisis and opportunities in family life, work life, school life, and every aspect of human experience that God can impact through us. And into this season of uncertainty, God calls us to be set apart for his redemptive purposes. Worker builder, homemaker, ministry worker, prayer warrior, church planter. We are called to let our lives glorify God in the various roles he has entrusted to us. 
we are called to reveal his redemptive love and grace at a time such as this. Perhaps for some of us here, the Lord is calling you to a deeper level of commitment. There may be those of us here whom the Lord is asking to take on the cost of commitment because he is preparing to set you apart for a new season of fruitfulness and impact. It is all by the Lord's grace that is his undeserved favor and blessing. Not because we are worthy, self-sufficient, or deserving. By his grace, God calls us to a deeper level of commitment. But we are responsible for how we respond to his gracious invitation. God's work in our lives is always by his grace alone. But our response to him must be by faith and trust. I would like to pray for us now. I would like to invite you to respond to God's call for a deeper commitment to him. I ask that we will not hold back in committing to the Lord. God will guide us and grant us wisdom in discerning his call in prayer and counsel with other mature believers. But our faith to obey him and trust him is the first step. Let's close our eyes and come before the Lord. And I'll give you a very short moment to hear from the Lord his call upon your life. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Father, as we quiet ourselves before you, we receive, Lord, your call of deepening commitment to you. Sometimes, Lord, we are fearful of the cost of that commitment. We are fearful of what the future might hold. We so naturally want to have our own certainty and our own sources of security. Father, at this time, we pray that by your gracious spirit, help us to remember that the place of security is in you, the place where we find fulfillment, where we find hope, where we find joy is in you alone. And so, Lord, we set aside everything that hinders our commitment to you. Loving Father, there are those here today that are opening their lives to you to come to a new season of further commitment. I ask, O oh Lord, even as they surrender themselves in faith, that you pour out your Holy Spirit, that you enable them, O oh Lord, to take on all that you have prepared for them to do. I ask for your anointing and grace upon their lives and the lives of their family and loved ones, even as they commit themselves to you. I pray that you will honor their commitment, that you will graciously honor their faith in you. I pray, O oh Lord, for those of us who need to hear your word of hope and encouragement in facing the situations we face ourselves in. I ask, O oh Lord, that you will help us live in response to your calling and not to circumstances, knowing 
and trusting that you are in control over all things. So Lord, we surrender ourselves and our loved ones to you. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In conclusion, know that God calls us to deepen our relationship with him. Be committed to God's purpose and calling. Identify and prioritize areas in your life that are essential to a growing commitment to God. In terms of our reflection questions, we covered two of them during the sermon, but we will repeat them here for emphasis. Question number one, what does commitment to God mean to you? Second, what is God asking you to give up to follow Christ? And lastly, what specific areas of ministry or service is God leading you to? Have a blessed week ahead of you and may the Lord's grace and blessing be with you and your family.